somehow always manage to sneak up on me. You shall have to excuse me. I'm in a state of semi-distress. I thought I'd been burgled, but upon further investigation, it seems that the exhibits are restless again. It's a summer heat, I suppose. They've gone and rearranged themselves again. Trouble began after my maid knocked over that can of powder that I acquired at an estate sale in Kansas. I fired her, of course. That's her, there in the corner, inside that faux keen dynasty terracotta camp follower. But look here, this urn contains the spontaneously combusted remains of Oscar Zita Acosta, the infamous attorney and social activist. He belongs on the shelf here, right after Dorothy Arnold and that disreputable rag-and-bottle merchant who was rumored to sustain himself entirely upon cheap gin. I arrange them chronologically by date of ignition. But do you know where I found him? Hmm? I found him in the taxidermy room with the Fiji mermaids, which properly belonged in the nautical collections. You see, if I sorted the mermaids into taxidermy, they would harass the rat kings. You just can't trust a cat, or half a cat, even if it's been sewn onto the front of a trout. Now, please, don't ask me how I acquired these urns, or I shall be forced to incriminate myself. Why don't I start you on the story, so I can get back to returning things to their rightful places? Tonight's story is something of a caper. It comes to us from Mr. Andrew Knighton, a Yorkshireman who lives with his cat and his many unread books. The first volume of his steampunk adventure series, The Epiphany Club, is available for free from Amazon or Smashwords. You can find more free stories and links to his books at andrewknighton.com. He's on Twitter as at Gibbon Demon. Oh, I do like that name. Our narrator will be... Oh, dear. Our narrator tonight is again the disreputable Mr. Vic Mullen of Scotland. Mr. Mullen, your audience awaits you. Urban Drift by Andrew Knighton The job didn't start well for Cam. Sleepless and strung out, too long since his last high, he was marched into the presence of Duodecius Gast. The gangster filled an antique wire-framed chair, loose flesh slagging through the gaps, dressed only in a stained pair of shorts. The walls around him were lined with obsessively hoarded sketches, paintings and sculptures. Cam's eyes fell upon a tiny oil of St. Joachim with the shepherds, and he felt his pulse accelerate, that hollow, hungry feeling rising inside. You into icons, Maguire? Gast asked, 
fingers drumming against an enormous thigh. Cam nodded. There was no point lying to Gast. He probably ran Cam's suppliers. I thought science soldiers stuck to amphetamines and unhealthy thoughts, Gast said. I was clean in those days. Cam could feel himself stiffening into a posture of weary defence. Gast's guards shifted away from the walls, hands reaching inside bulging jackets. The man himself only laughed. Don't worry, Maguire, he said, waving a hand dismissively. No one's here to judge you. In fact, I have something for you. A serving girl stepped out of the shadows, demure beneath her cloth cap, and held out a silver tray. In the centre was a flat block of wood, no bigger than Cam's thumb. The varnish on its surface was old and cracked, but beneath it could be seen a bearded face in archaic oils. St. Peter, one of a series of twelve. Cam picked the icon up from the tray and carried it to a window, examining it in the brief sunlight before a pipe factory approached, plunging him into a shadow. A hiss of scraping mortar filled the room as the two buildings pressed past against each other. A down payment, Gast explained over the noise. The remaining eleven to be paid on delivery. Cam placed the picture in a pocket of his weathered jacket, then looked back at Gast. What's the job? Gast stopped twiddling his thumbs and gave a small wave. Another servant girl approached. On her tray was a glass cube about eight inches across. Even by the muted light of electric bulbs, it sparkled with a rare beauty. Bright points filled its internal space and smooth flowing lines etched in the glass as it was formed. They shimmered with fragile elegance, a glowing network that made Cam's breath catch in his throat. Though abstract, they embodied something substantial, a heartfelt joy towards which he might aspire. The song of the city, Gast said, his voice hushed second most valuable of nebulous Ephraim sculptures of the ideal. I also own the third through to the fifteenth. Naturally, I want the top one too. I want urban drift. The factory finished grinding past outside, exposing a swathe of parkland. Sunshine streamed in through the window, splintering as it hit the cube, forming a bright web more elegant than that of any spider. Gast paused for a moment, basking in its glow, before an office block rumbled into view, once more blocking out the sun. In the dulled moments that followed, Cam was sickeningly aware of the sweat trailing down his employer's skin. The first servant returned and handed Cam a photograph. The sepia-toned image showed a stately house in an antiquated style with wrought iron balconies, a pillared porch and wide chimneys protruding from a slate-lined roof. This is Alexandra Eminent's place, Gas said. 
She has what I want. You're going to get it for me. Gast paused to sip from a tall blue drink, then continued, jowls wobbling with enthusiasm. In three nights' time, a rundown tenement will be passing the House of Imminent. Your crew will be in it, disguised as a salvage gang. You enter the house, grab the prize, and smash things up on your way out. Poor Alexandria's agents will spend months hunting for her art in the salvage slums. If they ever realise they've been looking in the wrong place, the trail will be long dead. Meanwhile, you deliver urban drift to me, and I deliver your next dozen highs on a silver platter. I'll need money too, Cam said, for expenses. Rensford's knows my limits, Gast indicated a tall man Cam had taken for a guard. Take him while you go shopping. And for my colleagues? Gast shook his head. Don't push your luck. They'll get the pick of the rest of Imminent's collection. That's more than enough. Now we are on. Or why are you wasting my time? Cam found grinning Jenny beneath a table in the Otto Reeves' arms, a battered old tavern slowly crawling along East Reach. She squinted up at him through the haze of pipe smoke and brick dust. What do you want? she demanded, staggering to her feet. Cam crouched, putting them face to face, and handed her a mug of the arms watered ale. Jenny's fellow crawlers fell into awkward silence at the familiarity of the fool man. You look uncomfortable, Jenny said, impatience seeping through her unbreakable smile. Cam shrugged. I'd pull a chair up, but, he gestured at the low stools, the rickety table barely rising above his knees. The crawlers stared for a moment. Then they started to laugh. Soon they were drinking and chattering as if Cam weren't there. Jenny downed her drink, pale liquid dribbling off her chin. Let me guess, she said. You need money to get high and you want me to help steal it. Uh, Something like that, Cam replied. She snorted and spat into the sawdust beneath her feet. You could stay in your factory with the crawlers and the press gangs, Cam said, staring pointedly at her battered fingers. Be all like all the other little people. Or you could come with me. Jenny's eyes twinkled dangerously above her meaningless, toxified grin. Then she sighed. Why fight the inevitable? She said, shoulders sagging. Let's go. Springheel was showing off again, somersaulting through the air high above the fast-shifting slum. People paused in the street below, staring up at the gangling figure as he leapt hollering and whooping across the unstable rooftops. Cam waited to see where the routine ended, then headed into the stairwell of a decrepit terrace block. As dusk came creeping through the sky, he crawled out the end of a broken gable and onto the lichen-smeared slates. Soot bellowed from a nearby chimney, and then in its shadow Springheel sat, his back against the red bricks, taking a screwdriver to one of his legs. Nice routine, Cam said, stepping carefully across the rooftop. The tenements shook as they squeezed past each other, making space for another, more important buildings. 
The housewives and factory workers who warmed these run-down piles might never see a mansion or trading house, but they felt the tremble of their passing. Springheel looked up with a grin. Clarisites darted across the blonde dreadlocks, swallowing fragments of ash as they fell from the chimney. Hey, Cam, he said. You got a minute? Springheel nodded. Always, just let me pop this back on. He set the screwdriver aside and strapped the prosthetic leg beneath the shattered mess of his knee. Then he rose to his feet, swaying rhythmically on the springy curves of metal that served him for shins. I've got a job for you, Cam said. I'm in, Springheel replied. You don't know what it is yet. Springheel shrugged. You always find exciting work. Besides, how else am I going to pass the time? The three of them sat in an abandoned shop, sunk in the darkness between office blocks. Somewhere outside, the sun was setting orange across the plains. Down here, there was only the flickering light from broken furniture burning in a rusty brazier. Cam ran a knife down the miniature of St. Peter, scraping away fragments of paint. He caught the flakes in one hand, then crushed them with the butt of the knife. The fine dust disappeared up his nose in one swift sniff. Suddenly, the world seemed clearer, brighter, a place of certainty and substance. I can't believe this place is going to pass through Banker Central, Jenny growled from beneath a heap of dirty blankets. It's not an accident, Cam said. And the lack of real scavenger gangs in this block? Mr. Gast's power reaches down as well as up. Cool, Springheel said, adjusting the torn trousers that concealed his mechanical legs. You've sure covered the details. There's one more to address before we go in, Cam said. He opened one of the sacks by his feet and spread its contents across the floor. Gunmetal glinted in the firelight. Jenny crawled out of her heap and across the room. She picked up one of the guns and spanned the chamber, eyes narrowing as she looked at the engraved butt. Morgan number 16, she said. I thought these were barred from import. Associate in the assault guard, Cam said. He brings things back from the campaign. Springheel bounced forward and picked up another of the guns. Are we going to use these? he asked. Cam shook his head. Shouldn't need to, but best to be on the safe side. They ate beans from battered cans and drank coffee brewed over the open fireplace. Outside, the darkness grew deeper. At last, the background rumble of passing pavement and walls softened as they entered a region of smooth joins and well-oiled gears. At a nod from Cam, the others rose, strapping guns and tools into position beneath dark, shapeless rags. Cam turned the handle of the shop door and pushed. The door remained stubbornly shut. Cam pushed it again, leaning his weight through his shoulder. Springheel stepped forward, opened a window and leaned round. He sniggered softly. Door's too low. They must have raised the pavement to keep the riffraff out. He swung one leg and then the other over the sill, reaching back to offer Jenny his hand. She slapped it aside and scrambled out after him, 
leaving Cam to bring up the rear, grinding his teeth at the petty setback. They stepped out into the scent of roses and the sound of a distantly playing fountain. Moonlight fell across them in bars, striped with the shadow of a tall iron fence. Springheel crouched, tensing the composite curves of his legs, and then leapt. He landed on top of the fence, balancing with rubber-soled feet on a ridge of razor-spiked metal. He smothered the spines in a heavy blanket, then lowered a rope to Cam and Jenny. Inside the grounds, they jogged across perfectly manicured lawns, moving from one shadow to the next, between birches and cherry trees that protected the house's residents from viewing the outside world. Cam heard a scraping. He raised his hand and the others halted in their tracks, listening to heavy footsteps approaching on gravel. Stooped close to the ground, they backed into the entrance of a hedge maze. Steam hissing from the joints of his motorised armour, a science soldier stomped into view. Electric lanterns cast dazzling beams of light from his shoulders, throwing vast distorted shadows across the lawn. The glare paused on the maze entrance. Cam felt sweat prickle his face and dribbled down into his left eye. He daren't move to brush it away. The seconds stretched out. Something clicked in the darkness behind those lamps. Was now the time to run? He tensed his legs, took a deep lungful of air, and the science soldier turned and marched on round the house, rifle swinging at his side. Cam slumped into the shadows, heart hammering, waiting for his vision to return. He reached into his pocket and pulled out the icon, crooked fingernails scraping a few flakes free and up his nose. Great timing, hissed Jenny by his ear. Cam shrugged her off and headed closer to the house, tension receding to a warm tingle. Round the back of the building, noisy gravel gave way to paved footpaths. On edge against further guards, they approached the reinforced windows beneath a third-floor balcony. At a nod from Cam, Springheel took two swift strides and jumped, springing onto the platform above. He lowered a rope, and the others scrambled up. The balcony door was locked a big brass keyhole covering an intricate assemblage of bolts and gears. Up here a solid bolt would have sufficed, but such simple solutions were far too common for the House of Imminent. Jenny unrolled a leather cylinder, revealing a set of slender brass instruments. She took up the tools with nimble fingers trained to unblock the dangerous workings of steam looms. Hooks and levers prodded at the lock's innards, probing testing, turning, until Jenny gave a satisfied nod, twisted her wrist, and the mechanism clicked. The door swung open. As Cam stepped across the threshold, he knew they were in the right room. Carefully contained gas lamps cast a soft glow across dozens of priceless pieces of art. Panelled walls of unadorned wood were hung with rows of paintings, from tranquil pastoral watercolours to bright oils of city life. The only furniture was an oak pedestal 
in the centre of the room, topped with a small glass cabinet. In its centre lay a velvet cushion, and on that the most beautiful object Cam had ever seen. It was a glass cube, like the one Duodizius Gast had shown him, but smaller, perhaps six inches across. It seemed to suck in all nearby light, focusing it into perfect points, like stars frozen in clear amber. They hung in a sparkling web, a network of still streets caught in the moment before they were burst outwards, spreading across the face of the city. Each dazzling fragment drew the eye to the next, creating a sense of motion within stillness, a tension between the frozen crystal landscape and a desperate desire to move. The sight touched a sad corner of Cam's soul. He too was trapped, caught on the brink of tears by its beauty. This was their goal. This was urban drift. Springheel nudged him. Come on, mate, let's get on with it. Cam nodded and moved forwards, forcing his gaze away from the pedestal, looking down and around for traps and alarms. Twice he stepped around floorboards with suspiciously well-defined, dirt-free edges. At several points, they stopped for Jenny to examine thread-thin wires crossing the room at knee height. She would squint carefully at the wire, watching the way it vibrated under her breath, before either cutting it or signalling the others to step over. Cam could feel his legs trembling as he crossed the room. Instinctively, his hand reached for the icon in his bag, but he cursed himself for the weakness and kept moving. At last, they stood beside the pedestal. Jenny found and disabled two more wires, tiny clamps screwing them into place before she brought out the snips. Then Cam spanned the wheel on a pocket fire knife and ran its tiny white flame across the glass, catching the clear circle that fell away. Cam reached through the hole, moving slowly to suppress the shaking of his hand. He lifted urban drift from its nest and drew it towards him. All three of them held their breath as he edged the glass cube through the gap. The only sound was the echo of footsteps elsewhere in the house. Cam didn't even think about the icon now. His whole attention was on the artwork in his hand, not just the professional attention of a thief at work, but that of a man enraptured, his gaze drawn by those tiny points which, even in the shadow of his hand, gleamed with the fire of stars. A spasm ran through him, come down an adrenaline. His arm twitched and there was a clink of glass against glass. Crap. He yanked Urban Drift clear and thrust it into his satchel. They hung in a moment of silence. Springheel shook his head, clarocytes bouncing through his dreadlocks. Something in the case clicked. Cam had just enough time to swear before a bell began clanging above their heads. They rushed onto the balcony. Voices cried out across the grounds and heavy footfalls raced across gravel. Go! 
Cam thrust Urban Drift into his satchel and cast a rope down into the darkness. Springheel grabbed Jenny under one arm and leapt, bounding across the garden in a series of arcs that carried him high above the treetops. The sound of voices and footsteps receded after him, interspersed with the snap of gunfire and the hiss of Tesla beams. Cam scrambled hand over fist down the rope, knuckles scraping against brickwork. As he reached down the ground, he turned and scurried low in the shadows along the side of the house. With a trembling, he reached again into his bag and drew out the Morgan number 16, its butt reassuringly heavy in his hands. His fingers brushed against urban drift, and the thought of its beauty sent a tingle up his arm. The starboard wing of the house, currently facing east, was well lit but badly guarded. A quick glance told Cam that the science soldiers who patrolled this space were gone, chasing Springheel into the night. Cam took a deep breath, steeling himself against disaster, and ran. Gas lamps flickered in the corners of his vision as he sprinted along a mosaic pavement towards a discreet gate. Cam's heart pounded. The gate was close. 30 metres, 20, 10... Halt! Without pausing, Cam pointed the Morgan over his shoulder and fired. The gun barked once, twice, three times. Cam's instincts were still good, but his hand was unsteady. The science soldier grunted as bullets hit armoured plates, ricocheting off into the darkness. Cam jumped, fingers grasping the top of the gate and flung himself over in a rough cartwheel. Bright Tesla fire crackled where he had been. He landed heavily in the road, the impact jarring scar tissue in his ankle. For a moment, he was back on a wind-blasted battlefield, trapped beneath the smoking ruins of a tank, blood pouring from the twisted top of his foot as he screamed for a medic. The smell of melting tar snapped him back. The science soldier was racing towards the gate, Tesla fire licking the road around Cam. Gritting his teeth against the pain in his ankle, he jerked upright and along the road. Behind him, the gate clanged back against worn stonework and the guard began to run, the heavy footfalls and hiss of his motorised armour pursuing Cam down a wide tree-lined street. Cam knew... He wasn't in the proud shape of his youth, but he'd always been an impressive runner. He kept his lead past the wide gates of the tree grand houses and into a settled cluster of upmarket shops, together so long that moss had grown over the joins between them. Ducking round corners and down alleyways, he tried to shake his pursuer, firing his remaining rounds as a deterrent when he got too close. They ran for an hour, through the warm summer night. Cam's training, keeping him going long after he should have collapsed. But the science soldier had steam armour on his side and his pace never flagged. Cam tried to lose him by leaping aboard a fast-moving workshop as it disappeared into a huddle of factories, but the guard soon reappeared, a hulking silhouette pounding along a fire escape. The sky turned grey as they raced through a shifting checkerboard of artisan suburbs and into a junction cluster. 
Around them, roads and paths twisted around and across each other before disappearing into a central shaft. Cam's body endured, but his mind was beginning to buckle. He couldn't endure the tension and adrenaline this long without help. Flickers of memory were playing across his brain, moments of mayhem whittling away at his determination. St. Peter was still in his satchel, an easy reach. If he could just find a moment to pause, to take breath and catch a hit, then everything would be all right. If only. He felt the pavement twist beneath him. Up ahead, paving slabs stood up one by one and disappeared into a dark maw of whirling gear teeth. The broken end of a drive belt lapped out like a tongue. His pulse mingled with flying dust and footfalls of pursuit, forming a fog that surrounded and penetrated, flooding his mind. The jagged junction tunnel became the rim of a crater, the ground shaking by the hammer of approaching artillery. Fear froze him in its sights, a tortured past screaming in his ears. Then the present hit him hard, the science soldier slamming into his spine, sending him skidding across rough concrete. Blood speckled the slabs as skin was scraped from his face. The bag slid from his grasp, its contents tumbling away towards the dark opening. An empty gun, a tiny scarred icon, and urban drift, sparkling in the red light of early dawn. Its pattern glowed like blood drops in a blasted land, then turned from crimson to white, from horror to hope as the sun rose above the street and cast its clear rays down upon them. Cold steel pressed against the base of his skull. That's so you understand how stuffed you are. The science soldier took a step back, gun still pointing at Cam. Stand. Slowly. Cam did as he was told. Raised his hands above his head. The broken drive belt lashed out, almost striking his arm. The pavement tilted beneath his feet, threatening to spill the things he had dropped into the grinding darkness below. One of us should pick those up, he said. Ahead of them, paving slabs were rising like tombstones and disappearing into the junction. You get the cube. The guard's armour hissed as he twisted to stay balanced. Only the cube. And careful, you touch that gun. Cam heard the crackle of a Tesla warming up. The drive belt snapped out. Air. Brushing his ear as it passed. He sank slowly to the pavement settling onto his knees, stretching out with one hand his fingers brushing the familiar face of the icon where it lay next to Urban Drift. The drive belt hissed over his head and slammed into the science soldier. A broken piston screeched as the man staggered. The pavement tilted, Urban Drift and Cam's icon fix sliding towards the dark machines below. Instinctively, he shot out and snatched one, the other tumbling into the void. The science soldier crashed to the ground, an arm flailing wildly, whipped around by a broken mechanism. The pavement twisted again. Below, 
roads crisscrossed each other in the darkness. Cam slid, fell, shot out his free hand and grabbed a passing lamppost. His shoulder crunched and pain shot up his arm, but he clung on, carried beneath the city and away. Their weather was changing over the city, storm clouds rolling across the clear sky, raindrops shone like silver in the sunlight as Cam stepped off the pavement and across the road. Patches of blue were vanishing into darkness above a converted warehouse. Inside the building, guards led him up concrete steps and through a waiting room that smelt of polish and second-hand leather. Springheel and Jenny sat in silence on a padded bench. Both glanced up as Cam passed. Springheel's claricites were removing clotted blood from above a bruise in his hairline. Jenny's cheek was swollen and scraped. Duodesius Gast's chair creaked beneath him as he sat back, staring at Cam. A door slammed sealing them in silence as low suburbs rolled past the window. Cam took his time viewing the gangster's art, admiring the creases of a uniform on a military portrait, the fine artifice of light across a charcoal landscape. His gaze caught briefly on St. Joachim and his flock, but moved on. One of the guards coughed. Cam glanced up. The hand of the antique clock above Gast's head had moved on a quarter of an hour since he came in. I, Cam halted, caught by Gast's glare. That's twice you've kept me waiting. The gangster's fingers tapped a rhythm on his belly, the patter of an executioner's drum. Once for you to show your face, and once more for you to tell me what I already know. There was a save it for whoever you're hiding out with. You've got my goods? Cam rummaged in his satchel. Gast's guards reached inside their jackets, then relaxed as he pulled out a glass cube, its inner etchings glittering like crystals of frozen light. A serving girl took urban drift on a silver tray and passed it to Gast with a jeweler's monocle and a curtsy. Gast crammed the lens into the fat around his eye. He squinted at the cube, nodded. You may have made a big fuss out of it, Maguire, but you've got the job done. He looked up at one of the guards. Rensford, fetch me a hammer. Cam clenched up inside. Against all good sense, he spoke. Hammer? Gast was grinning. I suppose I could melt it, but there's something satisfying about feeling things shatter. He laughed as he saw Cam's face. Don't worry, Maguire, I'm not going to destroy you. You might still be useful to me in one piece, although I'm not sure how. This on the other hand, is too well known to sell, and no use to me sitting on a shelf, but once word gets round that it's been found in pieces, 
I will own the 14 most valuable of Ethram's ideals, and I can set my own price. He tossed urban drift from hand to hand, corners sketching fine rainbows across Cam's vision. I know this is all a little beyond you, Maguire. Suffice to say, I'm not content to be guided by the invisible hand, not when I can become its great, grasping fingers. Gassed through the cube, higher and higher, his laughter gurgling like a drain. Cam thought of the hammer hitting urban drift, slithers of light bursting in every direction, losing form, meaning and beauty. A serving girl stepped forward at a gesture from Gast. From her tree, eleven oil-painted disciples stared at Cam, promising to carry him closer to God's bliss. You'd pay, Maguire. Don't let Rensford's boot hit your arse on the way out. Cam stepped forward, gazing for a longing moment at those bearded faces. He seized the edge of the tree and shoved the serving girl to the floor, swinging back to strike an approaching guard with a silver-plated disc. One hand shot out, grabbing Urban Drift. The remaining guard was reaching for his gun even as Cam flung the tree into his face. The man reeled backwards, crashing through the window and onto the ground. Cam followed, leaping over the street onto a passing corner shop. Gast bellowed after him as he ran, urban drift shining in his hand. The sun was sinking beyond the city, colours blazing like a heart of a smelting furnace. Cam watched its beams catch the frames of doors and windows, writing red runes on sheets of dark concrete. He smiled and ran a finger over the tiles on which he sat, lost in a sea of soft shadows. Something clattered on the roof behind him. The click of a gun cocked, echoed in his ears. Sorry, man. It was Springheel, his voice trembling, legs creaking as he stepped up behind Cam. Gas says we're part of the job. Either we make it good or... Well, Jenny said we should hide. But you know that wouldn't work. Gas gets everywhere. And then he'd be the three of us dead, not just one. Cam nodded. I know. Just give me a moment. Okay. Springheel paused, hovering uncertainly behind Cam. You know there are buildings that only surface every 40, 50 years? Cam was smiling still, watching a pack of power blocks split apart. Some shiny and new moved west to form a business district. Real antiques. Not sturdy enough for regular use, but too beautiful to be destroyed. They rise for a few days. People go visit. Old women reliving washed-out memories. School groups touring. A bit of history. 
worn down veterans looking for a few last moments of wonder before they die. One tower was left where the others had clustered, a baroque heap of gargoyles and perilous spires, its central point rose needle-like above the rest. A bell tower, its peak, a shadowy void sheltered by four pillars and a domed roof. That's all saints, Cam pointed at the tower. I saw it once as a kid. My grandma called it all sinners, some tradition from when she was young. Springheel threw something into Cam's lap. For old time's sake, he said. Go out buzzing, you know? Cam set aside the crude painting of St Thomas. No thanks, that's not the art I need. He pointed at the tower as it crossed the sun's path and golden light burst through its intricate tears. That is... The light caught on something as it shone through the empty bell tower, caught and fractured into a hundred perfect points, shining and spinning round each other through a prism of crafted glass. Motes danced like tiny angels across the church, then were snuffed out one by one as it descended into the city's open maw. Springheel's mouth hung open, the gun limp in his hand. You didn't. Cam nodded. I'll be long dead before it appears again, but so will Gast, and that makes it safe. He turned to Springheel, tears in his eyes. Some things are too beautiful to destroy, but I'm not one of them. So you do what you've got to do and then live a long life. Get to see this again. Cam turned his face towards the sunset as Springheel pressed the gun against his temple. In his mind's eye, silver points danced in a crystal landscape, never moving, but forever changing. Light made life drawing his soul up to something higher. The hammer clicked back once more, and he smiled. Time to move on. Mr. Muller can usually be found behind a cloud of vapour on his YouTube channel, Vaping with Vic. Ladies, do go visit him there. <laughs> well, I do adore a story about a city. Hmm. You know, an old friend of mine once said, it's not about you, it's about the city. He should not have told me that. It ultimately turned out to be his undoing. Oh, yes. Perhaps I shall show you someday. Perhaps if you leave me a review on iTunes, or Stitcher, or recommend me to your social media circles. I have been asking nicely. No? Oh well. We will talk about that at another time. 
Right now, it is time for us to close for this evening. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution, no director's license, which of course means don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. Leave a comment for us on Facebook, Patreon, WordPress, or Twitter, or write us at curiousgallery at gmail.com. Tonight's story music was by Frank Nora, Buzzbeat Music, Kevin MacLeod, and Sound Phenomenon. Our theme song, as always, is Ashes Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. My chorus is Walking Along by Kevin MacLeod. This episode was released in July of 2017. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com. How on earth did my authentic Hornbisa shrunken head garland manage to get itself inside the bread box? Hmm.